Okay, welcome to Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Gillette, and uh, joining me today is Tim Ring of Ring Engineering Incorporated. Tim, glad to have you with us. Hey, glad to have you. Thanks for having me on your show. Not a problem. The Ring Engineering website is www.ringengineering, and that's all one word, R-I-N-G-E-N-G-I-N-E-E-R-I-N-G.com. So you can see everything that we're going to talk about today uh, at their website. Uh, they make a, uh, a line of everything from railroad freight trucks, power pickup trucks, and some really cool end-of-train devices. And then uh, most recently, uh, we've got a major, I think, technology development, which is a direct radio train control system called RailPro. But more on that later in the show. So, Tim, can you give us a little bit of background about ring engineering? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, several years ago, I received a bachelor's degree in engineering from Purdue. And I worked as a process controls and automation engineer for about 15 years. Um, then I came up with the whole RailPro idea. And uh, we knew that such a high technology product was going to need a proper resources and a lot of time to develop. Uh, so we developed a simpler product. We developed our end-of-train device product. And then we incorporated Ring Engineering in March of 2004 and began selling products that year. We did receive a U.S. patent on our end-of-train device product. Okay. So, so Ring Engineering has been supplying innovative and high-quality model railroad products for nearly eight years now. And uh, Ring Engineering ships hundreds of electronic products every month and has for many years. Uh, my brother, Mike, also has a bachelor's degree in engineering from Purdue and has attended management and manufacturing courses at Harvard and at the University of Chicago. Uh, he is another owner and manager slash engineer for Ring Engineering. Uh, Mike has worked in the real railroad industry as an engineer, a general operations manager, and also at the executive management level. And that's basically our story. Okay, well, yeah, both from uh, non-model supply uh, perspective, your educational background, I mean, so you guys were well-suited to go into business and to be successful at it. Uh, what got you started? You know, what was that spark that, sent you down the line that resulted in an end-of-train device. How'd that happen? You know, I'd be willing to bet you that uh, probably the spark that I have is a, is a broken record been heard a thousand times before. My uh, my parents purchased me a train set as a young boy, Yeah. and I thought it was just fantastic. You know, <laughs> it was one of my favorite toys, and I played with it quite a bit. And, uh, you know, that was kind of how I got hooked on model railroading, as I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of others have. Okay. But it's still, you know, a big leap from having a Lionel or an HO set into, I think I want to develop a product and put it out there. I mean, to me, that's, I'm always amazed when people do that. I mean, that's, that is just amazing. You know, you take that step from being a modeler to a model uh, supplier. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it was. It was actually basically it was. It was sort of like, well, these are things. For instance, like with the in the train device, it was like, hey, this is something that uh, this is something that I would like to have. And I went out to purchase an in the train device. Surprise! That basically what I saw for sale was some LEDs and uh, you know maybe some flasher board. And uh, install this in my train car. Well, maybe I'd have to modify my train car, and it was kind of end up being a permanent one. You know, so it was like, hey. Maybe there's something else we could do, and then it was, you know, and then kind of one one thing led to another, but uh, but also the whole rail pro idea kind of came about at nearly the same time. It was like, you know, we could develop this control system. So having you know having those having those products in mind, it was like, hey, I think we found, you know, we I believe we put together a plan where we can move forward with this. We could start with our uh, in the train device product, and uh, I mean then we could get get our you know, get our feet on the ground and running such that we could actually spend the time and develop RoPro like like we needed to. Okay. And, you know, listeners, when you go to the Ring Engineering uh, website and you click on the end of train, there's a, a video that they've got. Uh, there's also photos that show the device mounted in the, the coupler on various different cars. And one of the things you notice is that 
it's all hidden. The the circuit board and everything is hidden beneath the uh, the trucks. The detail on the housing itself, and then the flash when you click the video and you see the demo of the uh, of the unit work. I mean, it's very very realistic. It's in proportion to the scale, and it's just excellent on the execution. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's the Yes, you're correct. The scale is it is right on. It's it's a it's a really I think it's a really good looking device. We're we're really happy with uh, how it turned out. And the uh, and the whole idea behind putting the circuit board underneath your truck was then you could install it without modifying your freight car. So since the circuit board's underneath the truck, it picks up power with the four wheels on the same truck. Uh, we were able to connect the wiring to the EOT device and. Put it on the and put it on a coupler. So therefore, all you'd have to do was attach a truck and attach a coupler. So you could install it on cars without drilling any holes or without wiring the product. Oh, that that's was, my kind of installation. Keep it simple. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, so yeah, that was and then then you know, and if you change your mind, I don't want that as in the train device car. You know, it's pretty simple to move it to another one. So that was and uh, so that that's kind of the story behind that that product. And uh, yeah, and. Well, you've got yep. the freight trucks that you offer also. I mean, it's a daggone good-looking freight truck. Did you design that? Did you tweak an existing design? Uh, you point out the contour of the wheels as, uh, you know, distinctive product features. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to touch on one more thing about our EOT device, which I think is is that if you install it on, like, a well car, um, it doesn't affect the load in the car. You could actually take the load in or out of the car because – there's, you know, because all the electronics are on that truck, um, so you don't have to have any electronics inside. Maybe to hide it inside a, a box, inside, you know, inside a container, inside the well car, so it doesn't load. So you could, you know, remove loads or install loads. I think that's another neat, uh, neat advantage in the train device product. I agree with that. I keep it simple. So on the trucks, did you design them? I mean, or did you just have somebody? You know, here's the improvements I want to make. How did that come about? Because those are very nice looking trucks. Yeah, well, we needed to. We we really needed our own wheels for in the train device um, yeah. in order to you know have the exact product that we want. So we had to develop our own wheels. And actually, the the truck the truck frame is supplied by Walters. Um, that's something which we purchased from Walters. Okay. Uh, but we did design our own wheels, and the uh, and yes. We have an exponential curve on the front of the wheels, which is basically an exact copy of real railroad wheels. <clears throat> Excuse me, something that we are you know, also very proud of. The uh, basically, it's it's what they have on the real wheels is an exponential curve, and what that means is that the curve starts out kind of as a big open curve, and then as it gets near the axle, it continuously gets tighter and tighter and tighter, and you know, of all the model train wheels that I've looked at, I've never seen any that I think actually has that uh, the proper curve on the face of the wheel like ours is. And then, uh, but the reason why we built the trucks was really for the matching ones. We, we were going to build wheels anyways for the train device. And then if people were going to buy it, you know, if they're going to have our nice looking wheels on the uh, on the back truck, you know, you think that they would want a matching truck on front. Uh, so that's actually was the the reason for building the the truck on front. But um, you can. You could certainly take the trucks and mount them on freight cars, and you know you'll have that nice look. And additionally, all the parts are machined, so they run very true. And also, the tips of them are metal, whereas a lot of the wheel sets you'll find the wheels are metal, but the axles are plastic. And when the plastic axle sticks to the end, and if that goes into basically a plastic frame, there's a lot more friction there than when you have a metal axle that goes into. into a plastic frame, so you know they have. Uh, so using a pair of them on a freight car is, is, makes for a really nice set of trucks for them. Gives you very low rolling friction, good looks, and also the wheels are made of a very high density material. Okay. And that actually tends to lower the the lower the center of gravity on cars, and it really gives them great adhesion to the track. So if you're running some of those tight turns, like uh, I always end up, in, <laughs> I always seem to end up with in my layouts. Um, you can pull some pretty long freight cars, uh, pretty long freight trains around those curves with uh, with these ring engineering wheels. I found them to be a lot better than uh, than a lot of the other manufacturers. Okay, and you know when you look at uh, loads on uh, 
on motors inside of locomotives and stuff, anything you can do to, to cut that down is always always a good thing. Now, the, the real uh, interest here, let's move on to the RailPro control system, train control system. Uh, you'll see it featured on the Ring Engineering website. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the the Digitrax, the NCE, uh, DCC systems out there, uh, the MTH, DCS, and so forth. They all generally send all of the information through the rails, and then it's picked up by the wheels and goes through a decoder. And they'll have wireless systems that control uh, how the uh, decoder interprets the information, but the, the information still goes through the rail. What Ring Engineering has done has made this radio direct. I've seen this demonstrated uh, here in Phoenix. My local hobby shop, which is an affair with trains, has one of these units mounted in. So I've actually seen the system work, and it is just as slick as it can be. Uh, I've also uh, had a long discussion with Gary Polino at Train Tech, and uh, we reviewed the uh, Rail Pro system, and that podcast is also up on iTunes. So let's uh, look at that. You mentioned that the Radio uh, Pro had been in development for some time. Yeah, that's correct. We actually we probably started nearly ten years ago. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, and, and and we were you know we were working on it sort of part time and trying to uh, trying to take uh, we were basically trying to take one of these uh, handheld uh, computers that you could buy from a store shelf. Yeah. And we were trying to use that to build a control system out of. But it pretty quickly uh, turned into something that was obviously never going to work. And it became pretty obvious to us that we needed to develop our own hardware if we were actually a nice system. And, okay. You know, so you've got an idea of a need and that there's like got to be a better way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Basically, basically what happened, Paul, is that uh, I actually, you know, I, I purchased one of the DCC systems. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I was really excited when I bought it and because, you know, wow, now I, now I could start actually, I can, you know, power up the whole layout and kind of drive the trains where I want to much more prototypically. So that was, that was really great. Um, but then, you know, I, you know, <laughs> uh, many, many hours into it, I'm reading about things like uh, at learning addressing and control variable programming and, it was taking me a lot longer than I thought it would be to uh, to get trains up and running, and I was uh, and I was actually quite surprised that these are considered commercial products, really, you know, because I mean, sure, me having an engineering degree, it's something which seemed you know pretty, you know, some of it was was very you know some of it was very obvious to me, um, but then again, I got you know I'm thinking to myself, what about the guys that you know, what about the guys that really would rather just drive their trains? <laughs> and uh and I was really surprised at, at some of the uh you know, some of the some of the things that I ran into and some of the limitations that the D C C had system had. I thought that uh you know, when I opened it up it was like, ah you know, everything's gonna be perfect now <laughs> and uh and it, it really it really wasn't. I mean, I was able to do, you know, most of what he wanted to do, but uh and I suppose you probably if you really stuck with it you could probably do you know most everything you want to do, but uh, it's you know there's there's a lot to it. So it was the real pro was hey, what if you know what what type of train system could we develop you know? And uh, so when we developed Rail Pro, it was like uh, you know let's let's build an absolutely simple system. And, okay. Uh, and what would we need to do in in order to achieve that? And uh, to, Couple things which seemed that we had to develop, uh, we felt that we needed a color touchscreen because that way we could present this information 
you know, and very easy to read text and so forth. And then another big important part was we decided that uh, we needed high-speed two-way communication between all the products. So uh, we wouldn't have, so we'd be able to do some of the neat features that we do with it. Okay. Now, so you really just kind of like clean the table off. You know, you've got a clean slate, and you're just, going, how do we really want to do this? So you're just taking all preconceived notions and stuff and setting them aside and just, you know, starting from day one with this is, you know, the way that ring engineering is going to do this. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, and, and, and the reason, and it wasn't a matter of just let's clean the table. It was mm -hmm. a matter of there's, there's a lot of things. For instance, I mean, here's one of the things. Uh, I had my DCC system, and I don't know what I did. I pushed a couple buttons on it, and all of a sudden it quits running. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't know what happened. Um, so I end up, and eventually I end up calling tech support, and they end up walking me through it, and I end up finding out that somehow I had set either the decoder or the control system in some different speed step mode. So okay. one of listening to the other or something like this. And uh, so if we were to bring the DCC into the rail pro system, then we would still have problems like that because, you know, all that hardware is out there, and that's just, you know, that's one of a hundred different things kind of, and uh, the, uh, or it's certainly one of many different things which I've, which I've run into. with. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. So it was if we wanted a really nice, clean system, you know, we felt that if we started with a, basically a white sheet of paper and said, you know, build the dream system, what, you know, what, what would we build? And yeah, that's pretty much where where the okay. whole world came from. And it was uh, Railpro is a matter of let's build, let's not build an acceptable train control system, but let's build an exceptional train control system. And okay. That, and that was you know that, that was our goal. All right, and you've you've touched on the uh, your handheld controller, and I know when I saw it. Um, when Bob and Alan were demoing it for me, I, it is big, but then he shows me all the information that's on the screen. And like you said, it's a touch screen. And I went, this is so cool. <laughs> because you're just, you've got, you know, like menu choices across the bottom. The neat thing is you've got a photo of the locomotive that you're controlling and you just, all right, so let's walk through this. So you guys are going to develop this system. What did you start with, the decoder itself, or did you start with the controller, the power supply? What was the sequence there? Well, uh, actually, we started we started with the uh, with the controller, with the, with the locomotive module. The reason being is because when we come up with the idea, Okay. Um, we wanted to be, you know, our idea of a simple system was we want to hit this find product button and have a picture of whatever product it finds show up on the controller so you can yeah. just touch using it. You don't have to learn any addressing or any programming or anything like that. And uh, now if, we're, if this controller was going to be able to get a picture from a locomotive, um, that's two-way communication. So that was where we'd seen the need for a high-speed two-way communication. That was one instance. So we definitely want to get into another about what we do with consisting because we think that that's really a strong feature too. Okay. Um, but anyway, so so this so now all of a sudden we're getting a lot of information from the locomotive. So we decided we needed uh, high-speed communication, two-way communication. And uh, so the way that we thought we would do that is with uh, with radio control. So now the locomotive module had to have a radio on it. So that was actually where we started developing because the big question was, you know, is this going to work in an HO scale locomotive? You know, in our system works on 2.4 gigahertz. So putting a 2.4 gigahertz transceiver into a locomotive module is like, is this really even realistic? Is it even going to work well? You know, it's obvious that it has to work absolutely as well as any DCC system. So that was the place that we started. And then probably the next step was uh, was the handheld controller because actually all this time we were actually developing and running on a DCC system. Yeah. And then so the last step was uh, developing the power supply. Did you? What were the challenges? Because I'm looking at the picture of the uh, the LM1, which is the decoder, and on your website uh, you can see this fitting down inside of a uh, 
a, a GE, I don't know if it's a Kato or whatever, locomotive, and it even with the radio, the transceiver on it, it it's no bigger than a a regular decoder that I would open up and see in a locomotive. Well, it it's it's a you know the development of the radio uh, it was done probably about three years ago or so and it was the size of the typical sound decoders about okay. three years ago at least what you know what we thought was a typical sound DCC decoder and it may have been four or even five years ago um, that the that the locomotive module was developed and that was our goal we figured if we could get it down to the size of a typical sound decoder we know that you know that, that fits into many installations. So we should be able to fit too, and that was, you know, that was one of the criteria that we had to have. Although we're going to put all these new electronics in, we just had to, you know, we had to come up with solutions for it, and it had to be small enough. Um, so yeah, the, the module, I mean, but comparative to today's standards, our two-inch module is, you know, is bigger certainly than some of the DCC decoders. But we were we're pretty proud of how how small it is and how small we were able to make it. And if okay. we build a, uh, we do have plans of making a, a non-sound decoder. Yeah. And uh, if we do that, it should even be able to be, hopefully, significantly smaller. Okay. Well, like I say, I mean, just looking at the picture there, I mean, there's ample room inside that uh, Kato shell for that. So. Well, that's... there's, you know, I mean, we, we've got a Switch 1500 here that, uh, <laughs> well, that it, you know, <laughs> would be uh, a real trick to fit it in. Uh, we've seen another Switch 1500, though, that it was able to install it in with basically without modifying it. So, okay. you know, there's no question. We, we do know that smaller is better. And uh, so adders, I don't think, uh, probably everyone would like to have an even smaller decoder. So, Okay. But, uh, but it, you know, once again, uh, you know, we're confident that it, fit, it fits in many locomotives. Uh, some of them are very simple. Some of them a little more work. But, uh but that's probably a little easier than the than the whole setting uh, control variables and so forth. So a little more work in getting it into the shell it, for those locomotives that do. You know, there's a lot a lot to be gained from it. Okay, so I've got a uh, one of your decoders. Now, are they hardwired in there, or do they come with like eight pin, nine pin adapters? Uh, we decided to use the uh, we decided to use the NMRA nine pin. So okay. basically, yeah, so you could plug it into any DCC-ready locomotive. So that could be just a simply plug in. And if the locomotive comes with an 8-pin plug, then you could use an 8-pin to 9-pin harness in order to plug it in. Okay. So yeah, so what you'd want to do for a rail pro system is you'd want to buy a DCC-ready locomotive. That's one that just has the plug in it without the electronics. Mm-hmm. And then you plug in our locomotive module and, and should okay. be ready to go. And now, then if you wanted some of the things like, uh, you know, if you wanted uh, the ditch lights and so forth, you you know, that's stuff which may need to be wired depending on if it's actually wired in the plug or not. A lot of that stuff isn't. Okay. That's where, uh, you know, train train shops like uh, like like Jerry with Train Check Tech, I believe you mentioned, you know, they're, they're specialists at that. Now... All right, so I've got this in my locomotive, and how do I get the picture of it to come up on my controller? Let's talk about the the handheld controller a little bit. So, what is that? Uh, what type of screen is that? I mean, it's a touch screen, but did, what is it? LCD, LED? What is that? Uh, yeah, it's an active TFT screen. So okay. It's, uh... It's a really, I, I, you've seen it, right? It's, it's a really, it's a really bright, uh, good-looking screen. Yes, it um, is. But uh, yeah, basically what happens is, so you put the, so you plug in the decoder module, the locomotive module, and then uh, then all you have to do is hit find, you know, you power the locomotive up and you hit find product, and then it'll get a picture from the locomotive onto the handheld, and then you can simply touch the picture, and that's the locomotive you're driving. So you could actually turn the knob. Press forward or reverse, or, or touch some of the uh, touch some of the buttons to activate the horn or the bell or the light and so forth. And uh, that's really all that you need to do to get started. Now, if you install this in your locomotive um, and you didn't buy it installed, then we don't know, you know, what the picture of your locomotive is. So you'll right. end up on your screen. You'll have a blue locomotive on the screen. It says Ring Engineering across it. Okay. Um, at that point, you can give it a number. So you could type in a road number. You can give it any name that you want. 
So you could actually do two or three locomotives, and you could still, from the screen, you got three blue locomotives, but you could touch any one of them and, you know, and drive in any one of them uh, very easily. And then the picture is... Uh, and the picture is something which you could add later. Now, the basic steps for the picture is, is the handheld controller has a USB port on it. Yes. You can plug it into your PC. And what you do is you use your browser. You go to Ring Engineering, and there's a list of, once you log in, you could go to the Rail Pro page, and there's a list of pictures, sounds, light effects, or programs that you could choose from. So you can pick the picture of the engine that you want or the sounds which you'd like, and then uh, then you plug in the handheld, and you go to the uh, and you go to the software update, and you press the big download button on it, and it'll actually get whatever files you've chosen with your browser and put them onto the handheld. And then then you could actually take the direct radio and you could copy the picture onto the locomotive. All right, so the information is actually stored within the module. The decoder is actually where the uh, profile and the data s resides. Yeah, that that was uh, you know that, you know we thought a lot about you know what if uh, we thought about well we could keep it into the handheld, um, but there's a couple of advantages. I mean, particularly like when you bought a product that was uh, like for instance if you purchase a product from a supplier where you bought the locomotive engine and the module, and they installed it for you, they could also have the picture in it for you. So at that point, think about how nice the user experience is there. He sets yeah. the product on the track. He has fine product. The locomotive has the picture. The buttons are set up correctly for the prototype. The sounds are set up, and you're just simply ready to go. And then the other thing is that if you purchase, if you, you, know, you can use multiple controllers with a system. You can use 10, 20, or 30, or 40 handhelds with a system. And uh, if you are, then when they hit find product, whatever the first user set up, their handheld will automatically get set up the same way. That's the advantage of having the information in one locomotive instead of in, in the handhelds, because otherwise, when you had a second handheld, you'd have to you know, type all that information into it. And this okay. way, basically, you have to do it once by keeping it in the locomotive. We definitely thought that that was the way to go. Okay, so we've got a profile in there, and does that does the decoder in your case automatically sense the motor's start voltages and so forth like that? You know, normally you program, you know, you those kind of CVs into a, a regular DCC. Is your unit reading that information and remembering it? How's that happen? Actually, when you install when you install a decoder, all you really need to do is uh, is run an auto setup for the motor. Okay. And you run an auto setup, and it it explains what you need to do. And a few seconds later, it's going to basically run the motor at full speed, and it'll take some data from it. And uh, that's all that you need to do. <laughs> and that's ready to go, and it's set up and ready to go. And uh, you know, the amazing thing is what happens when you consist locomotives at that point. Okay. Tell me about that. Okay. The um, What happens then when you, I mean, linking locomotives in a consist is really simple. All you have to do is hit the link button. You touch the picture of the locomotive, which is in front of your train, and then you touch each picture for each locomotive, which is following. And then when you take off, this is when direct radio really starts showing. What happens is, is, the lead locomotive actually will monitor its pulling power, and then it'll transmit that information to the follow locomotives, and the follow locomotives will match up in pulling power. So what happens is, is you completely get rid of all the problems with different manufacturers' motors, with different speed curves, and you get rid of all problems with gear ratios and so forth because they end up matching each other with pulling power. Now, that's some you know, patent-pending technology that uh, Ring Engineering has invented. That's just simply amazing. And it's so easy. I mean, from the end user, you know, I mean, it probably sounded a little technical, but from the end user, he hits the link, he touches the pictures of the engine, and he takes off. And previous to that, you know, there's a one time uh, where he had runs the auto setup on the motor. And that's, <laughs> that's really all that you need to do. And, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the, you know, you mentioned in the DCC system, and this is one of the things where, uh, this is one of the things where we thought that RailPro would really shine, 
this is where we wanted to start with that clean piece of paper and, uh, and build this control system because I actually had a couple different locomotives myself and I took my DCC system and after reading for hours I come to the conclusion that I was going to set these speed tables in order yeah. to get these uh, different locomotives to run together because they had different they were different manufacturers, different motors, different gear ratios. Okay. So um, I started setting control variables, and six hours later, they still, you know, this speed it was okay, that one it's okay, this one not so well. <laughs> I finally, honestly, I just gave up. <laughs> okay. I was like, I don't think this is going to work real well. And you know, this is all the things which led us to the whole RailPro idea. And it was like, hey, what could we do to make this, Something that the users could, you know, easily do and end up with a, you know, you know, with something that uh, that works well with them without spending, you know, time learning or uh, or doing all this this programming and so forth like that. Okay, so on the on the website, I'm looking at, you know, actual screenshots from the HC1, and so I see on there you use the uh, visual icon of a of a chain link, and that's where you would choose the next locomotive, hit link, and that's where it builds its contest? To yeah, how you... that's correct. Once okay. you hit the link, then a couple things happen. One of them is it shows you this, you know, it brings up the selection so you can pick which locomotives. Yeah. And then uh, then there's a done button. And after you, and after you hit that, uh, the link button, I believe, actually changes to an unlink button. So oh. if you wanted to break the contest apart, all you have to do is touch the unlink button. Okay. Now, and so it's important that when we're doing this, each locomotive that you're going to consist has to have the rail pro decoder because that's integral, that direct communication between the two. That that's correct. That's one of the that's one of the reasons for putting the radio transceivers directly in is because the engines can talk to each other. Uh, okay. You know, Lead engine could actually transmit directly to the uh, directly to the follower engines, and you know the, the DCC standards, uh, the, the DCC standards themselves. That's you know basically it's a those are for a one-way communication where the engines are told to. Okay. You know, certainly, there's nothing in the standards that would allow one engine to actually send the information directly to other engines. And then the other thing is, is that we're doing this real time. As you're changing the speed, as you're coupling onto different weight trains or uncoupling weight trains, all this is happening in real time. So the, you know, so the speed of the communication is very important for that. Okay, that makes and, sense. Yeah, you know, that's easy to achieve with a 2.4 gigahertz radio. It's a, you know, the, the data transfer rate is very, very fast. Okay. Well, let me have, let me just throw a question in there. 2.4 gigahertz. Uh, is there any shielding or anything necessary? Am I going to cause my neighbor's garage door opener to go up or anything like that? I mean, that sounds like a silly question, but is there any potential for any kind of interference, or is that not a big deal? Um, I, no, I, no. There's, there's really, um, certainly, there, nothing's ever been reported, and we certainly don't. At, uh you know, I mean, you know, the product is FCC approved. And, okay. Uh, and I figured so, but I thought, you know, it's going to be in somebody's mind, so let's just get it out on the table and let you say that's not really an issue. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it's really, I mean, is it conceivable that there is something that might, I mean, maybe, but, but the technology in this, is, you know, the older technology in the radio transmissions used, Kind of like you know with the older RC cars and so forth. If you had one 27 megahertz car and you tried to use another one, you know they, uh, you know, the signals would overcome each other and so forth. Uh, the technology that we use is much more like cell phone technology, and actually many of them could sit in a similar band. It's pretty different than in some of the old RF technology. All right. So, and we've got sound built in, and so. Do just like on the photo and stuff. Do I go to your website and download a sound profile or anything like that to get the engine sounds that I need? In other words, if I install this in a in a uh, a Genesis FP7, so I want the the primary to have 567 sounds, 
do I just download those sounds from your uh, website and then that sound profile resides in the decoder itself? Is that how that works? In in, gen, in general, yes. Um, it would be, you know, you would, you would use your browser and you okay. would select, uh, you know, if there's a selection for pictures or sounds or programs, and you'd pick the sound section, and then yeah. you could choose the sounds, and there's some prime mover sounds there which you could choose from, and then that would come down to the handheld. And then you'd use the copy feature and copy it over to the locomotive. And okay. then the last would be you, the, all the, the buttons. There's eight buttons at the bottom of the screen. Um, right. And yeah, there's a second set of them, so there's a total of 16 user-definable buttons. You could set them up any way you want to. Um, okay. So one of the buttons would be set up as a prime mover on-off button. So you could actually hear it start up and shut down from a button on the screen. Okay. And... And, and and that button, you would set it up, you could pick it. You could set it up as a sound button, and then you'd pick the file name. For instance, you know, like the EMD 710. So you'd pick that sound, and then that's when you push the button, then that's the sound that the, the device would make. Okay. All right, so that's cool. I even see on your website, I mean, you've got everything on this example set up, like even coupler, clank, bell, horn, light, you know, dimming, and there's the, the motor sound, the engine sound itself. Okay, well, golly, you've really well thought out, you know, just what, you know, a modeler is going to want. I mean, this is amazing. Yeah, the, uh, you know, and once again, the, the, the function buttons themselves, to be able to take the first button and make it a headlight or mm -hmm. make it a coupler clank sound, you know, is uh, it's, it's a I think a, a real advantage. Um, instead of looking at you know maybe F, instead of trying to remember was coupler clank sound F eight or F seven or something like this, you know, you could actually type in text and uh, pick pictures for the function button. Yeah. And that alone is a you know really really big plus, and uh, making train control simple. Okay, and I've got to yeah tell you, I mean I I consider myself computer savvy and so forth, but I have yet to adopt DCC on my layout just because I've been overwhelmed by what I see as complexity of it. Not that the systems are bad, but I've gone, okay, right now my grandson likes to go out and we'll just watch the, the trains run and so forth, and I'll worry about DCC later. Something this simple would, you know, get me to step over the line and go ahead and you know, do oh. away with DC and go to DCC because this is so simple. Young children, young children could, you know, I mean, young children could pick it up and uh, they just touch the pictures of the engine so they could actually drive different trains. I want to drive this one. So they touch that one or drive this one, touch that one. And they see the, they see the pictures on the button. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it, it is, uh, it really is simple. And that's what Rail Pro is all about. And, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, DCC systems, uh, you know, they they work fine, um, but there's but there's a lot to them. And also, you know, the DCC protocol itself has been developed for 20 years, and there's certainly, like I mentioned, you know, where you could accidentally set it for different speed steps and stuff like that. There's some snags that have, you know, come along with 20 years of of development. Okay. Now, now. Ring engineering, every product, every RailPro product, the program can be changed on it. Now, here's here's one of the reasons that uh, the DCC has some snags like that is because they released some product 20 years ago, and in order to, for it to be compatible today, if they, for instance, they started out with a, you know, I'm not sure what it is, a 31 speed step or something, and they realized, hey, we'd like to have more speed steps than that. So they, now they add another one, and this is how they get into this mode problem. Now, here's the difference between ring engineering. If for whatever reason, of course, we're probably not going to. You know, we've got 1,000 speed steps. It's 0.1%. So we, <laughs> we don't think we'll ever change it. But if we ever wanted to, every product that we ever sold can be upgraded. So we could literally wipe out the 1,000 speed, the speed steps completely. Let's say that we wanted to go to 2,000 speed steps. We could completely eliminate that because we could simply update the program and every product out there. So, so you know, so starting with when every product is reprogrammable, that leaves you in a position 
we're, we're far less likely to run into some of the, the growing pain that uh, the DCC has experienced. I'm not sure if that made sense. Well, what I heard you say is that you're always backwards compatible because you just bring the whole system up to the latest level of technology. Yeah, almost not 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 the backwards compatible stuff, um, but yeah, the whole system can move forwards, such that you don't have to worry about backwards compatibility. Basically, okay, is kind of more I, I think the thought process. But uh, anyways, that's a big advantage. Once again, it's stuff that users probably don't really need to know. Um, you know, uh, you know, users find product, link locomotives, and off and running. Now and the. And that's stuff that we'll take care of. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's just I'm I'm fascinated by information like that. Uh, now you developed your own power supply, also. Yeah, that's correct. The uh, now that now there's now there's something which uh, I'd like to give you a little background on that we think is another plus and another reason for not necessarily bringing the DCC world to the RailPro system as we've created it okay. is uh, the signal itself. Uh, let me explain. The first product that we released was our in-the-train device product, mm -hmm. and we wanted to be sure that it worked on both analog and DCC systems. So we set up two test tracks, basically identical test tracks, and we run them. And, and to our surprise, the DCC track needed clean much more often than the analog track. So um, we didn't want to keep putting the labor into this, so we actually tried swapping the systems put them on different tracks thinking maybe one track was bad. But every time, those the black patches of carbon uh, were always developed much faster on a DCC system. Um, so we come up with this theory that what we believe is going on is with the DT system, the voltage is more stable. It kind of comes up and kind of stays there. For the DCC system, in order to put the signal in a track, the polarity constantly changes on the voltage very rapidly. And what we believe is the current is actually is actually pulsing into the wheels instead of flowing more smoothly as with the analog system. So we believe that every time it switches polarity, there's a higher current pulse, and then that can create a small arc between the wheel and the rail. And that is what we believe, that's our theory on why we seem to see these black patches form a lot more uh, quickly on DCC systems. So uh, knowing that and having our radio control where we, we don't need communication on the track, you know, it led to the idea of, well, we should have just a DC power supply on the track. And then that way, so we believe that the, that the rail pro system, that you probably won't have to clean the track as often because the voltage is stable, and we believe that the current flowing into the through the locomotive wheels will be also more stable. Okay, and I've heard other people talk about, you know, the the very small amount of arcing that DCC, especially with sound, yeah, lending itself to. Okay, I've got to clean the track more uh, more frequently. So I have heard that from other sources. Uh, I wouldn't argue with that. Now, your RailPro, the power unit, uh, that's a powerful unit. Yeah, it's um, got uh, it's got 75 watts of power. Now it's at the you know pretty normal track voltage. It's around 14 volts, so that's uh, you know it's a little over five amps of power that it has. Okay. Um, but also, I mean, but also with the RailPro power supply, um, we put a small fan in it, um, so you could actually hold that thing at the uh, full 75 watts of output all day long. You don't have to worry about it, even even in a warm room, you know. So we've actually powered up 20 LM1 locomotive modules with it, and you could probably run up to 20 locomotives, more of the late model ones, you know, more of the late, more of the later Cato's and Atlases and so forth, because the motors in those tend to be a little more efficient than uh, some of the much older, you know, when you start getting 15 years back and older, some of those motors drew a lot more power. But you know, most of the modern stuff, we believe you could probably you could power up and run like 20 of them. Off a single power supply. Okay. Now you should add problem. The power supply is designed to, uh, you know, if you need a second one or third one, you could go ahead and hook them up to the track. To okay. Power. I guess if you got a real big uh, uh, club layout, 
I see it mentions that it's capable of powering a repeater. Um, actually, what it, what what it is is the repeater. Um, each power supply actually has a direct radio in it, so okay. the hand they actually talk to the power supply. Now, you know, we get a couple of features out of it. One of them is you can bring up the you can bring up an information screen on the power supply and actually see how much power it's using in real time. Uh, so you can so as you increase you know, as you in, increase the speed of the trains, you could actually see that the power supply uh, starts increasing its power output. But the other thing is is that with uh, with the high frequency radios, is that you might run into what they call multipath. You might find some very small angles where it doesn't communicate. Yeah. And with repeater, and with the repeater in the system, the handheld could actually transmit to the power supply, which could transmit to the locomotive. So that gives you two different communication paths with one repeater. Uh, as you have more repeaters, you'd have more communication paths, and uh, so that way you could end up with basically a perfect connection. But also, people can use the minimal system. You could use is you could take a locomotive by itself and the handheld controller, and you could go basically set it on any DCC system and drive it. Uh, if you typically follow your train around, and if you're going to stay within, oh, about 20 feet, you'll find out it works. It should work just flawlessly for you. Everything should be very quick and work very well. Okay. <laughs> now, let's but bring if, up... Uh, but we test direct radio. We test direct radio at, uh, at every product tested at 40 feet. And in a more open environment, it'll transmit over 100 feet. So you could certainly be far away from your locomotive without repeaters, and uh, see some exceptionally, you know, exceptionally good. Uh, okay, well, 40 feet. I mean, for the average layout room, that, yeah, that should encompass about anything that you would uh, do. Well, you can. Uh, well, this is our recommendation is about 15 feet between the repeaters. So if you had your power supply in the middle of the layout. Um, you would expect a 30-foot by 30-foot layout with a single repeater. Um, you know that that would have we would expect you to have flawless coverage. I mean, we're talking about transmitting through two or three walls, um, and every you know every time you hit every time you hit the screen, you, you should expect that if you're touching a horn, it should be instant all the time. Um, and then it's so it's currently set up for four repeaters. So I mean, you get into some really large layouts um, where you could have perfect coverage. You know. Standing on one end and you know operating a train clean on the other side of the the, the building, basically. So yeah, we actually believe that um, that the way RailPro is set up, we really you know we've never really heard of any train set that's bigger than RailPro's set up to operate right now. You, know, you could keep adding power supplies. You'd have 10, 20, 30 handheld controllers that'll work absolutely fine together. And the speed of the direct radio is so fast. That's something that's important if you get into a lot of controllers, is that uh, the DCC signal itself is actually, keep in mind, the protocol is like 25 years old. Um, the speed of DCC signal itself is fairly slow. Um, but because the direct, because RailPro is, is direct radio, since we're sending it only to the locomotive and we're doing it with a high-speed uh, controller, um, you you can expect much better responses uh, than you could with a DCC system that comes through the track because of the slower communication on the track when you have a lot of uh, a lot of members operating simultaneously. Now it says also that the uh, the power unit can be set up to auto reverse. Explain that to me. Yeah, um, when you have a yeah, it can operate as an auto reverser. So you could uh, you could go to the you know you could touch the picture of the power supply. You can, you can touch the picture of the power supply, and then you can uh, then you could touch the adjustments button, and there you could you could change the power supply adjustments. One of those adjustments is the uh, auto reverse. So basically, when you have a loop where a track comes where a track comes to a where a track comes to an end and it turns back around. So you could go back on the same track that you came in. I mean, that's basically an auto reverse loop, because what would happen there is that the, you know, one rail actually ends up connecting back to the other rail. So you'd end up with a short circuit. So, and this is the same for any, whether you're analog, DCC, or using RailPro. So what you do is you could put insulators in there to insulate that loop section, and then you could, if you set up the uh, the RailPro power supply for auto reversing. 
and as the train went around there, it would act, it would change the polarity as it needed to in order so that the train can continuously go around the track without the operator really knowing what's happening. The um, but we do another product that we're uh, very likely to build um, is uh, we will probably build our own auto reversing unit, which is not a power supply, but you know just an auto reversing unit itself, a standalone unit. Okay. Often, you know, often auto reversers are uh, are used in kind of small sections of track, and uh, it would kind of be a shame to put uh, such an expensive power supply, you know, uh, powering up a pretty small section of track. So, you know, it would be much better to have a, a lower cost auto reverse unit for a small section of track. Okay, but so if, that's you know, something you're looking at downstream. If it, you know, but depending on the layout, you know, if half the layout was designed as a as, as part of the auto reverse section, then that would kind of be a different situation. Okay. Now, oh, my mind just went blank. I have to edit this out. Uh, <laughs> now, as I look at this, so I've got a power supply, I've got a handheld unit, and I've got a uh, decoder module that goes in the locomotive. Your right now, your decoder decoder modules are you know right at a hundred bucks. That's competitive with you know, where that price point is for uh, high-capability decoders out in the market. So that's good. Uh, yeah, and, I'm absolutely. sorry, go ahead. And we believe, you know, in the, and we believe that our sound quality, you know, uh, our sound quality is, uh, is just as high as just as high as some of the best ones out there. And yet, $99 list, you know, we've included the direct radio, uh, you know, transceiver in it in addition to the other features. But you know what else our locomotive modules have that I know at least none of the decoders that I have. We have short circuit output protection on the outputs. Okay. Accidentally touch if you accidentally touch one of the wires, um, you know. And, I've, and you know, once again, this is all stuff which I've learned from my DCC system. As I dropped one of the wires, and oops, there goes the decoder. That's you know, it was destroyed. And it was like, boy, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if we could do something? So actually, if you accidentally drop, and you know, certainly please don't do this. Anyone do this? You know, it's designed as a as a just in case feature. But uh, if if you drop one of the wires, it'll actually detect the short. It actually shuts down. And because of the two way radio, it mm -hmm. reports handheld, like output two is shorted. And you actually there's a there's a warning icon that'll show up, and if you touch it, it'll say output two is shorted. If you touch that, it'll bring up help and tell you what you probably need to do to fix the problem. And wow, it, you know, beyond nice. that, we also have things like motor overload protection, over temperature protection, and there's a lot of different things which our modules can detect and send back, which we don't believe is available, certainly in most, and certainly we don't think any of them has all the protection features that uh, that we do. But you may know more about that than I do. Well, but I was just looking here at the, yeah, the value are. point. I mean, so a system's about quick and dirty $800, but for all that it does, you know, that's, that's a lot of value in there for an $800 investment that... Oh, yeah, re remember that those are, those are list prices, you know, and so... You know, you you want to certainly do that comparison, but also the um, but you can buy our basic wireless system for what any wireless DCC system costs. I mean, it, you know, you find some of the you know you, you find the uh, the good wireless systems out there, and that's kind of where the price range starts. Oh and no! And our locomotive modules, you know, like like you've mentioned, um, we're in the same you know we're in the same price range as uh, as the quality sound sound modules. Oh no! That and that was my point. I mean, Additionally, our locomotive modules have downloadable sounds, so you could actually change them. Now, you had, you had asked a little earlier about the sound that we have. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, we have, you know, we certainly we we don't have quite the selection of sounds that uh, at this time, um, but we are building our sound library. And the nice thing about it is that you can, uh, you know, is, is that as we come out with your prototype and sound, you could download it into it. Okay. Do you have? Uh, we've been talking about diesels. Do you have uh, steam sound profiles now, or is that something still for the future? No. Yeah, we actually have right now available as we basically call it our, our, our medium steam engine sound. You know, so we do have one 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 set of sounds for the steam engine, 
and uh, and we have a couple of uh, diesel sounds, but uh, we do have we do have original recordings for some for uh, things like the Jivo. We have original recordings for the 7FDL, and uh, we have a 645 Turbo and 645 Turbo 20-cylinder. Uh, we have all those original recordings. So those are things now. That's kind of the hard part is getting the original recordings. Once we have the original recordings, after actually formatting them into uh, to the RailPro format, is it, not that difficult. So. So pretty soon we should have those available for download, and that I believe, you know, kind of gets you covered pretty well from about probably somewhere around the the, the middle of the caboose era, you know, up through to modern. Plus we have the, the steam engine sounds available. So okay, yeah, and I'm sure you know you'll add files as uh, you go along. Uh, in my interview with. Gary Polino, where we were actually talking about the uh, the Rail Pro uh, system, I had just picked up one of the new release uh, River Rossi uh, H8 Alleghenies that the CNO had, and I just brought it in without a sound decoder. Told Gary, I said, I may have to send this off to you to have you put a uh, you know a ring engineering system in. And so I said, well, we'll have to make sure we get a, you know, they've got a, uh, an articulated uh, steam sound. But, yeah, that would uh, be really cool. So, yeah, the, uh, well, the, you know, cer certainly, getting the, uh, certainly getting the modern ones uh, is a whole lot easier than some of the steam engines. There's, uh, oh, I you know, agree. There's, there's, still plenty of, there's still plenty of operating steam engines out there that uh, we could still get recordings for. Um, but you know, I guess in your case, it might be you might know better than me. But I think that the UP Challenger still runs, runs. So that that I think is 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 that close? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, I've I've had the opportunity to hear, like you said, you've got the the Challenger back when Norfolk Western was running uh, their uh, articulated along with their Northern, and I've seen historic films of H8s out there. And, you know, if I shut my eyes and articulated, you know, especially if it's a large, heavy steam, you know, that staccato exhaust between the front engine and the rear, to me, there was no real characteristic difference. So, you know, yeah, I'm sure a Challenger would uh, fill in real easily for uh, a sound uh, profile on this uh, H8. And that's nothing I'm going to do tomorrow anyway. So uh, now you've even got stationary controllers out. I see your TC4. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It certainly should be available soon. And actually, it's going to. Uh, it originally was. It originally was called the turnout controller. But we've actually the electronics that we put in it. We noticed that. Uh, there's enough electronics in it to do a whole lot more than running turnouts. So it's probably going to actually get released as an accessory module. Um, I believe that we'll be able to control a lot of different products with it. So, um, so the accessory module, uh, probably over a year ago, we were operating snap switches with it. And then just at TrainFest, uh, not too long ago here, we were operating motor-operated switches with it. So it's, you know, so, so the prototype's been in test for a while. And uh, we just need to, to fix a to not fix a couple things, but we need to finish a couple things, such as the user manual and so forth. And uh, hopefully, uh, there's probably a still slight chance it might be ready this month, uh, but certainly by next month, that uh, certainly think that it that it should be for sale. And okay. So, and that's targeted what like tortoise and those type of uh, turnout controllers. Right. It'll operate. The, yep. We are, we've operated tortoises and things like Atlas snap switches with it, and uh, but but additionally, you know, uh, this unit has uh, has eight up to sixteen outputs, eight inputs, eight outputs. It has the capability of driving servo motors. <laughs> it has uh, sound capability. <laughs> um, so it's. Uh, so this product, we're, I mean, we're going to, it'll, it'll initially be released as a turnout controller. 
But then as we develop software for it, you know, we certainly expect to be able to run all kinds of other things on your layout and think about uh, think about how nice it will be to be able to potentially see things on the screen and uh, be able to operate other products on your layout. We think that if we think that the future is, is going to be uh, really, really neat and interesting. If I've got a, I'd say like an NCE-based DCC system on my layout, is it can you know is it compatible? Could I run the ring, you know, simultaneously? The I'm sorry, the the Rail Pro system. I mean, I know that there's different decoders, different controllers, but with the right controller and power, would your locomotives, you know, draw the track power from the NCE, and would I be able to control them with yeah. my Rail Pro system? Yeah. What What you could do is you could take your handheld controller and your locomotive, and you could basically set it on any. NMRA DCC system that has uh, less than 20 volts, which you know I, I'm quite confident that the NCE uh, is is probably around 14, I guess you know, um, just like most. So yeah, so then you could actually uh, the direct radio will send, excuse me, will send the communication straight to the locomotive, and uh, and it won't interfere with the DCC signal on the track. And the same thing with the DCC signal on the track is. Uh, you know, it'll, the locomotive will only pick it up for power. So, yeah, um, someone could take their locomotive handheld, go to a club, drive with the regular, with the other club members on their DCC system, and then pick his equipment up and go home, and they could all operate together. And uh, we've had no uh, no reports of interference either. And actually, there's, uh, we know, quite a few people that, that do that. Um, the other thing is that the DCC system should be just a basic DCC signal, as described in, uh, which which would be typical of the NCE system or or any other major manufacturers. Now, now not uh, now not DCS though. Um, right, not the MTH version. Yeah, uh, no one. You know, I I, I think uh, I believe Gary actually. I guess I think Gary with uh, Train Tech might have tried it on a DCS. And uh, he said that it was reporting, I believe, high voltage warning. So, so, so you know, uh, certainly, you know, we wouldn't recommend that. Okay. The standard DCC signal um, that uh, you can you can run on those layouts. All right. So you're perfecting that. You're continually expanding the database on the sound profiles and so forth that you can download. Uh, Anything else off in the future that you can share with us? I mean, this is, to me, a new paradigm out there. So uh, you got anything else like this coming down the pike that you can share? Um, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I think that uh, I've already mentioned that we, we do think that a non-sound decoder is, is going to be important. We've had plenty of people ask for that. Okay. And uh, But I... I guess you could, you might be able to start start. I, I think once you realize that the system has a, you, know, you could easily add products uh, where everything could talk to each other because of this because uh, of direct radio. Yeah. And where you've got this screen where you could you know you could put all kinds of pictures and buttons on it. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you might be able to start thinking about you know what what's what's possible in control. You know, uh, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot. It, also, we certainly believe that there's things that we haven't even thought of yet that we're sure some customers go, hey, could you do this with it? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's something that we could definitely do with it. And so, yeah, but I think that the next products will be, uh, the next product that we, is that non-sound decoder and then the accessory module. But the, also the accessory module, um, since it has 16 outputs, you know, we certainly we certainly do plan on developing a signaling system with it. So, okay. You know, I mean that that's kind of a natural fit. Now, the nice thing about our accessory module is, is since it has direct radio in it. Yeah. Um, you know, with the signaling system, the you know the signaling system could get information from the turnout controllers. 
So since they all have direct radio, they can all talk to each other. So the signaling system, you know, without doing any extra network wiring, Mm-hmm. They could just simply talk to each other, and the signaling system could, you know, adjust the lights depending on where it knows the turnouts are set up. So I mean, that okay. Could be, uh, that could, could make installation very simple, where there's basically, they could have this signaling system, which is talking to the switch system, and basically you won't have to wire any network or anything like that. Boy, that would, you know, anything that makes the hobbies simple. Oh, yeah, we want, yeah, because, you know, people, you know, I, that's certainly, that's what RealPro is all about, you know, is be able to uh, take it out of the box, do things that you want to do without, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, reading manuals and spending time uh, doing other things. The, uh, I don't know if we mentioned the videos. Have you, have you seen the videos on RealPro? There's a couple of real, there's a couple of videos which, uh, have a lot of information on them, and you know, in a few minutes of viewing, you can see a lot, a lot of the features of Real Pro. Probably a lot better than, than, uh, than, than I might be explaining. <laughs> well, I've seen the uh, the link on on your web page that would take me to the uh, the videos and other areas like the Quick Start Guide and so forth. So, no, my interest has peaked even more. So I'm going to be looking at this uh, now. You know, I have I've had the availability of of seeing this in action, and it does sound very well. It operates just as you have have said, and it's being installed on a uh, fairly large size club style layout down at uh, an affair with trains. Check with your model railroad store. See if they carry this. See if they've got a unit where they can demo it for you. It is an impressive approach to train control. I mean, you guys have done an excellent job, Tim. Hey, we appreciate that very much. Nothing makes us happier than hearing uh, hearing comments like that. Because, you know, I mean, for, for me, there's definitely some personal satisfaction there. Because as a model railroader, you know, you want to... I wanted, we, you know, we wanted to build a system, and I suppose there's there's definitely some satisfaction in hearing the comments that our customers have come back to us and, and said to us about our system. So. All right. Well, Tim, I appreciate your time today. So anyway, I want to thank our uh, guest today, Tim Ring of Ring Engineering. Appreciate all the information on the uh, product line, the end of train, the the Rail Pro system, and uh, certainly enjoyed the uh, the conversation. Thank you for having me on your show, and I, and I hope that all of you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year at the Model Railroad Hobbyist Magazine. And I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us today. Music.